The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, the verses 37 to 45. This morning and this afternoon, we'll be coming to the close of Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Plain, and we will also be looking today at Lord's Day 19, more specifically, question and answer 52, in which we will also look at Jesus Christ as judge, and that fits beautifully in with our reading this morning. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 45, and you'll be able to find that on page 1187 of your pew Bible, page 1187 of your pew Bible. So Jesus Christ has just called to himself a whole crowd, a a multitude of people who are listening to him, and he has healed many in the crowds, and then he's begun to preach to them. We reached the pinnacle of his sermon last week in verse 36, where he says, therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. And then we come to our passage today. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to, be, to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So far the word of God. We'll also look together at Lord's Day 19, and you'll be able to find that on page 533 of your book of praise. And here it continues working its way through the Apostles' Creed, Lord's Day 19. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. And then we come to the one that we'll be focusing on today. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? 
In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, imagine for a moment a busy Middle Eastern marketplace. There's bright colors everywhere. Children are running around, calling to each other, running between people, dodging this way and that. And people are shouting out what they have to sell. It's noisy. It's dusty. There are animals. There's food. And money is changing hands quickly. You go to the man who's selling grain, and you ask for a measure of grain. He crouches down on the ground and creates a pocket in the fold of his robe, holding that measure between his legs. First, he fills the measure three-quarters full, and then he gives it a good shake with a rotary motion that's going around in a circle to make the grain settle down. Then he fills the measure to the top, and he gives it another shake, Next, he presses the corn strongly together with both hands. And finally, he heaps it into a cone, tapping it carefully to press the grains together. From time to time, he bores a hole into the cone and pours a few more grains into it until there is literally no more room for a single grain. In this way, the purchaser is guaranteed an absolutely full measure. It cannot hold more. This last bit was the description of the theologian Jeremias of what the picture of the picture that Jesus is giving today what it looked like in a marketplace in the ancient near east this is what a good seller was expected to do this was best practice normal practice in the marketplace pack in as much as you can and be unstinting in what you give when someone's come to you to purchase. Because, Jesus says, this is what was given to you. This is the generosity that he calls his followers to. Our passage, verse 38, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. This verse, this call comes right on the heels of the verse that is the heart and soul of Christ's entire sermon. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Verse 36. Today I proclaim to you God's word under this theme, justice and mercy measured out freely in Christ. That's what we'll be looking at. And first of all, we'll see that this applies to all. When we consider this picture that our Lord Jesus gives and we look at our passage today, we have to understand that that verse talking about mercy and judgment is the basis for what Jesus is saying. Everything that follows there. In the the first half of his sermon, after all of the blessings and woes, he's had his sermon going up to a peak. You can almost picture it. Like a mountain peak that's uh, going up the slope of a mountain to a mountain peak. 
And at the very top of that mountain, the very central point of his sermon is that verse, verse 35 and 36, calling for love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, as your heavenly Father is merciful. That is the peak, the pinnacle. A Christian is to be marked by mercy, he teaches. But that mercy doesn't just extend to those who are in power over you, those who persecute you, those who do wrong to you. That was on the upslope as he's talking. That was what he was talking about. When people do wrong to you, persecute you, do all kinds of evil towards you, your mercy doesn't just extend to them, but your mercy also extends to the ones over whom you have power over the ones that you are now in a position to judge. But who judges? Well, if you consider who Jesus is talking to today here, he's not just talking to some leaders. He's not just talking to the Pharisees, but he's talking to all of the crowds. People from every corner of Galilee and beyond that, Tyre and Sidon. It's not just leaders Only the elders that can be included in this, or only government officials. Jesus is speaking to everyday believers, to Jews and Gentiles, and he addresses all of them. Everyone has people in their lives that they can stand in a position of judgment over. Although you might not have someone under your authority specifically, your cutting words, your sidelong glances, your mentioning it to someone else, That still has power. And in reality, you only have to be on the receiving end of that once to know that that's true. Even if that person doesn't have authority or power over you, their words still carry power, power to harm. You can sing, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me in the schoolyard. But you know that you're singing that because words do hurt. Bullying, judging, condemning someone and loudly making fun of them for clothes they wear, for stuff that they've done, for other things. All of that is painful. And everyone can do that. It's not just limited to leaders. Your words have power. And that power makes it possible for you in your heart to stand as judge over others, even when they don't acknowledge your authority over them. That's why Jesus Christ isn't just speaking to one particular group. He's speaking to all of his followers there in this Sermon on the Plain. And that's why his words apply to you and to me today here as well. So what do we see that he says here about judging today? Well, he has two negative statements, two positive statements, and then a summary. In the negative, he says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. And then positive, forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And in the summary, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Judging in condemnation, forgiveness in generosity, 
and the measure you use will be used back to you. That's the breakdown of it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much authority you have. This applies to each of you. It's true of us from the least to the greatest. And each of us is called to extend mercy first, not judgment. This brings us to our second point. Now, considering that idea of judgment, we have to come to understand what is perhaps one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Bible. And it's a misunderstanding that a lot of people here in Canada today have taken and run with. So what's that? Judge not and you shall not be judged. Many people today take that to mean you can't speak into my life. Live and let live. Leave me alone and I'll let you alone. And you know, where it rains in the world, it drips in the church. We've got the dangers of the same idea creeping in. Don't speak into my life. Leave me alone. I don't want my friends talking to me. I don't want my elders talking to me. I don't want my brothers or sisters talking to me about my life choices. But that completely misses how God has created us to be. He's called us to live in fellowship. He built us up as a community for mutual accountability and for worship together. As a new creation in Christ, we are called to be members of a body, joined together and living together, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds and the glory of God. If we isolate ourselves from the rest of the body, whether by actually not showing up to church to see each other as we gather in worship or showing up but shutting other people out of our lives, we're letting society feed this thought. Just as Satan teaches, we are saying nobody but we can speak into our lives. We isolate ourselves from letting brothers and sisters use the word of God to speak truth. Again and again in Scripture, we see the charge to speak into each other's lives, and we see it coming out as a command. Galatians 6 verse 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Matthew 18 teaches us the steps that are taken if someone is caught in sin and doesn't repent. In the book of Proverbs chapter 27, Proverbs 27 verse 6, It talks about how we should welcome people speaking into our lives, even if it hurts. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And more clearly, in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 13, there is a command to judge and to discipline those who are within the church. With the conclusion, put away from yourselves or excommunicate the evil person. So, If we see all of that in God's word, then what is Jesus talking about? We can see a little bit more clearly what he means when we read what he says in a parallel gospel, the gospel of John. Chapter 7, verse 24 of the gospel of John, we read him saying, judge with righteous, which is to say right and proper judgment. So in the first place, Jesus makes us aware that there are two kinds of ways to judge, wrong and right judgment. 
Now consider who Jesus is talking to when he's preaching. He's speaking in a very specific situation here. If you remember the Pharisees who were coming after him before this, they had a legalistic point of view. They had all of these traditions and all of these other things that they were bringing forward and they were condemning Jesus and they were condemning his disciples. So Jesus is speaking to a very specific situation in which there are men who are putting themselves on the throne as judge. Jesus isn't ruling out any judging. He's ruling out judging like the Pharisees. A judgment that puts yourself on the throne as judge. He's ruling out a judgment that puts yourself on the throne as judge. This brings us to our third point, the problem with putting yourself on the throne as judge. Jesus gives us two parables to picture this problem that comes with putting yourself on the throne. The first, he says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? You can imagine how, how ridiculous this picture looks. Have you ever seen a blind person with another person helping them out? Or maybe you boys and girls have seen a a blind person with a seeing eye dog that's uh, basically being their eyes for them, that stops at a crosswalk, that uh, barks if they're in danger of running into something. Now imagine if you had a blind person who was being led by another blind person. In new and unfamiliar situations, a blind person is pretty vulnerable and they need all the help that they can get. Is it going to be better with two blind people working together? How long would it be before they run into trouble? Now you and I, you and I as sinners, we run into serious problems if we lift ourselves up to be the final decree of authority, the final arbiters, the final teachers of what is good and right. You can't disciple someone else out of the sins and blind spots that you yourself have. They're just that. They're blind spots. You can't make someone a better disciple than you yourself are if you're only using yourself as the template. At best, you can only make them turn out to be exactly as flawed, sinful, and broken as you are. You are a blind man leading a blind man. This goes for parenting too, by the way. If you are trying to raise your children into becoming carbon copies of yourself, then this will be the same problem that you run into. This is the problem when you see yourself as that final picture of what is good and right and you judge others and teach others according to the model of who you are and what you do. You need outside help and guidance. Jesus says a disciple is like his teacher. And so he's calling his disciples not to follow and become carbon copies of these Pharisees but to look to him. 
The second parable gives a similar picture, but one which is even more ridiculous. A man with a whole plank stuck in his eye, trying to remove a little speck from someone else's, a speck of sawdust. Again, this is the problem with putting yourself on the throne as judge. You have huge blind spots to your own sins and weaknesses, and this can lead to incredible hypocrisy as you're trying to to take the speck out of someone else's eye. So the question has to be, what motivates you as judge? What is the measure that you use to measure other people? How do you deal with the sins and with the shortcomings of other people? Whether fellow church members, whether siblings, friends, your children? Do you put yourself on the throne as judge over other people? If you do, then you run into the same situation as the Pharisees here today. And Christ calls you to listen to him here. Do you put yourself on the throne of judgment? Or do you draw their attention to God, who is the judge? Do you look outside of yourself? This is our fourth point. In the letter of another early church leader, James, who was the brother of Jesus, we read this, James 4, verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. God is the judge, and he does judge sin. It's based on what he judges to be right and wrong, that we speak and judge. Not on the basis of what we personally arbitrarily decide, but on God's eternal rule of what's right and wrong. The highest authority, God himself, What do we tell our brothers and sisters if they're walking in sin? We speak of accountability, motivated by mercy and love. We come to them and say, you will be judged, and I love you, and I care about your eternal well-being. This is God's ultimate rule, and I'm calling you to, I'm, I'm warning you about this because I love you. These are the guardrails, and you're about to throw yourself off the cliff, ignoring them. We open their eyes to the reality of the one who is our judge and lawgiver, measuring them with the measure that we use. If we hold ourselves up as the ultimate judge, we're raising ourselves up above him. And then we become blind men leading other blind men. We become people with planks in our eyes trying to correct a speck of sawdust in the eyes of others. However, if we ourselves step back and we recognize the ultimate lawgiver, we remove the plank of our own self-righteousness. And it's not on the basis of our own righteousness that we're judging others. It's not on the foundation of our own arbitrary limits, but rather we are pointing them to the same higher authority that we ourselves look to. With the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. And something interesting happens when we do that. 
when we point our eyes to the one who judges us and them. Because when we turn them around, we we take them and we turn them around and then we point their eyes to the one who judges both us and them. We're pointing their eyes at the one who is merciful in judgment. You see, you and I, we're not often very merciful in judgment. But when we do this, we are showing them the one who is merciful in judgment. How so? Well, we remember this. The justice and mercy of God come together in one person, Jesus Christ. Let me read to you a little of what we confess about him. This comes from our confessions, the Belgian Confession, Article 20. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his Son to take on that nature in which disobedience had been committed. So Jesus came in the flesh to take on our human nature in order to make satisfaction in that same nature and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. God therefore manifested his justice against his son when he laid our iniquity on him and poured out his goodness and mercy on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation. Out of a most perfect love, he gave his son to die for us, and he raised him for our justification, that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. That was Belgian Confession, Article 20. It's that son who has been placed on the throne as judge, In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven that very same person who before had submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. That is the judge. So what does this show us? It's Jesus Christ who is the judge and it's your judge who paid your penalty This is the one that you are turning that person to see. This actually hammers home what Christ himself already said in verse 35. That God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Although we show ourselves daily to be be weak, and sinfully caught up in our own blindness, God shows his kindness to us. God is merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires a payment, and through Jesus Christ, God has himself paid that cost. And in paying the cost, he covers our debt and shows his mercy, both in one fell swoop. And in doing so, God has remained perfectly consistent within his own nature. You see, mercy doesn't rule out justice before God. But mercy results in what we ought to have paid, being paid by someone else. Being paid by our judge, Jesus Christ. 
Whoever follows Jesus Christ and puts their faith in him and repents from their sin is freely given this mercy. And so we turn the eyes of those to that judge. Verse 37 again, judgment doesn't fall on them because Christ has taken it. They are not condemned. They are freely forgiven if they come in repentance and faith to him. And they are Lord's Day 19, question answer 51, given all of the benefits. By his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts on us, his members. And by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. That's where we point the eyes of our brothers and sisters in Christ when they sin. Not to ourselves as judge over them, but exactly where we look when we sin. There is a judge who is just. Be aware of that. But he is also merciful. And if this recognition of Jesus Christ as judge is first and foremost in our hearts, that will change the way that we deal with those who are around us who are caught in sin. We show accountability, yes, but mercy and grace, reminding them of the forgiveness found in Christ and affirming Christ's forgiveness for those who repent. That's another thing we need to do. Come alongside and affirm, yes, you are forgiven if you repent because that's the nature of our judge. And as we model that in our own lives and the way that we deal with them, we are able to model what God has done for us, what's freely offered to them as well. This brings us to our fifth point, the treasure inside. So what's in your heart? What's the treasure that's stored up there? It can be easy to take this as it is with all of Jesus' things and project it onto other people. But Jesus calls us here. What's the treasure that's stored up in your heart? Is it judgmentalism? Hard-heartedness towards your neighbor? Things that scandalize you personally? Not according to God's law, but personally? like the Pharisees who hated Jesus and were scandalized by what he did? Look at the way that you treat those who are around you. What you say and what you do is treasure that's being brought out to see the light of day. Verse 45. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The one who finds their own mercy and justice in Jesus Christ, whose goodness is found in their Lord, will bring out good treasure, judging with right judgment, accountability, mercy, and love. But the one who does not will bring out evil treasure. And for those, Jesus calls his hearers to repentance. And he calls us to repentance here today as well. But for the one who is brought to see God as the ultimate lawgiver, who sees their own guilt and comes to Christ to have that plank removed from their own eye, the one who thanks God for the mercy and forgiveness given, freely forgiven by the one who took on the judgment that that ought to have been ours. For the one who wants to live out of the grace that he or she has been given in Christ and put to death the sin that they're dealing with in their lives who judges spiritually and rightly, not because 
they are personally scandalized. But because they want others to be brought to find salvation and rescue in Jesus Christ as well, just like they did. Those are the ones who find mercy. And with that mercy, worked by God the Holy Spirit in your heart, your tree will be changed from bad to good. Your fruit, the overflow of your heart, will be filled more and more with grace and mercy. Filled with good treasure, you are able to enrich those who are around. Now this won't happen perfectly yet. As pastor, I'm growing in it. The elders and deacons are growing in it. As parents, friends, and siblings, we're growing in it. We aren't perfect. We haven't yet attained it. We haven't arrived. But that's why you and I together are coming to Jesus, isn't it? We're coming to Jesus Christ. And in him, we grow in mercy, growing together towards that final day. Yes, we still struggle with our own sin, our own judgmentalism. Struggling with putting ourselves on that judgment seat instead of directing each other's eyes to the just and merciful judge. And we keep on having to pray for repentance and, and take ourselves out of that seat and leave it for the one to whom it belongs. But by the power that flows out of Jesus Christ, the power that he already displayed in the verses prior to his sermon, verse 19 there, by the power that flows out of Jesus Christ, we are, by his grace, more and more bearing his image and advancing his kingdom to his glory. Amen.